Hi, this is Craig Coleman from SMD, also known as Signalysis Media Department. We are starting a new podcast, SMD Radio. On SMD Radio, you'll hear everything from news, interviews, tips and tricks, stories, and more. So stay tuned. You're about to listen to the audio version of the NASA Bob interview from our YouTube page. Bob Farrell of Farrell Marcom interviews Signalis' senior research engineer Bob Coleman, also known as NASA Bob, and asks some interesting questions. Let's have a listen. So, um, so my question was, and one of the things I learned a couple of months ago was that you were, uh, you had the opportunity or were offered a position with Warner Von Braun's group. And I wonder if you could elaborate on that. Oh yeah. Um, well, I had, um, interviewed actually at, um, Huntsville, Alabama, uh, with, um, Von Braun's, uh, people and, um, uh, so I was uh, looking forward to getting a, a um, getting an offer from them. I thought the uh, interview went real well, and uh, they were testing uh, rocket motors. And um, there's there's a problem of uh, vibrations on the uh, test stand, and I went to the blackboard and showed them uh, that. Uh, illustrated uh, one of the vibration problems could be associated with the electronic instrumentation, but it could also be associated with the uh, vibration of the rocket motor on the test stand itself. And I outlined the, outlined the uh, mathematical equations for solving uh, those two different problems. So there was a, an electronics and instrumentation problem involved on the one hand and uh, mechanical vibrations on the other hand. And they seemed impressed that I would work problems in the electronics world as well as the uh, mechanical world. And so I, I thought the interview went pretty good, but uh, as time went on, I didn't hear from them. So. I then accepted uh, a job, another job, with the uh, Navy propellant plant. And after getting that job, I did get an offer then from uh, Von Braun's group. But by then, I was so engrossed in my job at uh, working on the Polaris rocket motor that I uh, declined their offer. And uh, so, uh, but I was uh, kind of torn between uh, leaving uh, the Polaris rocket motor versus going with uh, Von Braun's group. But uh, I was having uh, so much fun with the uh, uh, Polaris rocket motor, uh, I, I did uh, go ahead and decline their offer. What your future plans are with regard to maybe some short-term things you're doing currently at Signalysis? Well, one of the things we did uh, when I was at NASA, um, I developed a uh, method of uh, detecting uh, damage on the internal 
structure of the orbiter after flight. Um, I think I mentioned in earlier comments that uh, I would take a crew down to the uh, Kennedy Space Center and we would perform vibration testing on the uh, space shuttle uh, before a flight. And then uh, I would actually do an experimental model and also a, a mathematical finite element model of the uh, orbiter structure. And so then when the, uh, when the uh, space shuttle would return from flight, I would go back down and obtain post-flight vibration data. And I was able to use those results comparing with the pre-flight to determine whether there had been any structural dynamic damage. And I actually developed a method of um, pinpointing the location of the damage using uh, vibration uh, equations. So ever since then, since coming to Signalysis, I've always thought about using that same concept on the assembly line. We already are using um, the old uh, NASA technology to detect whether a, a manufactured product um, has a defect coming down the uh, assembly line. So we routinely have been uh, detecting defects using vibration uh, for a number of years now. But I've never yet taken the step to try to show the customer where in the product his defect is. Some of these components we test are pretty complicated geometrically, and it's, uh, it would be quite a challenge to be able to tell them inside of a structure where their uh, damage is located. But they would like very much to know where the damage is. And of course, I've got that methodology uh, in my toolkit, theoretically. It's just a little more involved uh, mathematically and, and involves computer graphics and uh, product modeling. And, uh, but I keep uh, thinking about that. And uh, over the years, that's been, my, uh, been one of my dreams here at Signalysis is to try to implement that NASA method to actually be able to tell a uh, company where the damage in their product is located internally. So uh, I've been working on a, on a method of doing that. Uh, the problem is a lot more difficult on the assembly line. Uh, with, when I was at NASA, we had, I could take uh, two or three days to um, apply the uh, analytical methods to locate the damage on the uh, space shuttle. However, here on the assembly line, we have to be able to complete our test within several seconds because they have a steady stream of products coming down the assembly line and they need an instantaneous answer 
about whether they have a defective product or uh, a good product. And um, if I'm going to locate the damage, I don't have two or three days to do it. It's got to be done in several seconds. So I've been working on that, um, on a process for doing that. And uh, we'll have to see if it really uh, is going to uh, come to fruition. But that's really my uh, that's really my dream here now is to try to uh, be able to immediately tell, you know, have a picture of the customer's product on the computer screen with a red spot uh, right on the point that is damaged, mm -hmm. and uh, we would have to have uh, detailed. Um, computer graphics, we could uh, go, we would be able to um, do exploded views, go in and look on the inside, show an inside uh, view of the product with a red spot right where the damage is. Right. Um, yeah, customer would be uh, very delighted to be able to um, have that ability. <clears throat> yeah, no, that sounds like it's, um... Yeah, it would be quite a breakthrough. <clears throat> I think uh, you mentioned a couple years ago to me that you, um, or as a youngster, you, maybe uh, your parents had you involved in music quite a bit, and and uh, your interest uh, at that age was was with music. And um, I believe you mentioned in the Navy you were a bugler uh, on a ship or a carrier or something. And um, can you? In a couple of minutes, talk about how you, you went from that to uh, world, the world of vibration. And yeah, I think really uh, there is a connection uh, of my uh, interest in uh, vibrations as a physicist. I think there is a connection all the way back to, uh, I can remember all the way back to age nine and ten. Uh, my my father was a piano tuner, and my mother was a piano teacher. So, uh, and I, my mother gave me piano lessons um, beginning at age five. And I actually uh, uh, had ideas of becoming a, a concert pianist uh, growing up. Even in high school, I was working uh, toward that goal. And I actually initially went to uh, Arizona State University on piano scholarship and also on a trumpet scholarship. And uh, my dream at that point was to be a musician. Uh, but then uh, without going into details, I uh, uh, joined the Navy and actually went to the Navy music school and was a Navy musician on an aircraft carrier. But uh, after having experience in the Navy, uh, standing uh, watches on the bridge and interacting with uh, some electronics technicians and engineers up on the bridge, I got real interested in uh, physics. And when I uh, uh, got out of the Navy, I just went to University of Oklahoma and uh, and pursued a career in physics. But going back to age nine, 
um, my father was tuning pianos and every summer he would go on these long trips around the state of Arizona tuning pianos at colleges and high schools and private res residences. And um, he would take me along and he would have me move the mutes uh, on the piano strings. When he would tune a piano, each note in the middle of the piano uh, had three strings for one note. And you had to tune those three strings to exactly the same pitch or would you, or you would not get a pleasing uniform sound. And so he had to tune one string at a time and he had to mute off the other two strings. So he had rubber mutes that he used to mute off the other strings so he could tune just one string. Well, he paid me 50 cents per piano to move the mutes for him. And so I, at the age of 9, 10, 11, 12, I had that experience of, of listening to him repeat the sound of the notes over and over and over again and tune those strings. And I became very fascinated with the changing pitch of the string as he brought the notes into uh, true pitch. When he would start, the note would sound bad. And uh, by the time he finished, the three strings sounded as one string. And I was fascinated by that. And uh, as a part of that process, tuning process, you had to learn to tune your ear to some very high frequency harmonics. If you hear a piano sound, um, you don't even notice that there's really a whole series of different uh, tones or pitches that are being uh, sound, uh, that are part of that uh, sound. And uh, in fact, the reason we have differences in quality of sound between different instruments is because the all of those high frequency harmonics sound in different in different intensity ratios for different instruments giving you different sound qualities that's why a trumpet doesn't sound like a piano mm -hmm. so anyway it's that history of of uh, of just wondering about what was going on with these strings and the sounds and the frequencies that uh, interested me. And uh, that led naturally into an interest in, uh, in vibrations as I uh, engaged in the, uh, in the physics uh, curriculum in college. So um, you, you were doing some work on the Polaris rocket program. Uh, I assume that was roughly the same time that the Mercury program was going on with NASA. Was there any information shared back and forth with regard to rocket technology or were they both operating uh, autonomously? Well, the uh, Polaris rocket motor was pretty much independent, uh, an independent project there. And 
it was in later years that I went to uh, NASA. And of course we did, um, NASA had its own rocket motors. And so, uh, and uh, they had the uh, solid rocket boosters. And uh, that of course was very interesting to me. And uh, I was interested in uh, vibrations associated with the, uh, with the space shuttle. Uh, rocket motors as well. So um, um, we uh, we did uh, when I would go to the uh, down to Kennedy Space Center, um, we would measure the uh, natural resonance frequencies on the space shuttle, and then uh, I could get some vibration data, but uh, accelerometers were installed on the, on the space shuttle to measure vibrations during the flight. That way I could, uh, after flight, I could get the uh, vibration data and tell whether any damage was uh, developing on the space shuttle just based on the uh, analysis of the uh, vibration data. And of course, the uh, vibrations in the solid rocket motors themselves were a big source for uh, vibration damage. There were two primary sources, really, the external aerodynamic uh, shock waves uh, going through uh, Mach 1 uh, that, that uh, caused vibration on the uh, structural uh, surfaces <coughs> and uh, but also the uh, solid rocket boosters uh, generated quite a bit of uh, vibrational forces just from their internal um, acoustic modes of vibration and uh, I was very familiar with that process uh, after having worked on the uh, Polaris rocket motor because yep. the Polaris is really where I learned how uh, internal uh, rocket motor resonance frequencies played in to the vibration problem leading to uh, structural damage. So didn't you also mention that payloads have a, a, an effect on vibration? Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, um, when a payload is mounted in, in the payload bay of the uh, of the space shuttle orbiter, the uh, as that shuttle goes through, particularly when it's going through Mach one, and a lot of uh, uh, structural vibrations are induced again by the solid rocket motors and and by the uh, shock waves. Those vibrations are present in the uh, mounting structure of the uh, payload bay. So the payload mounted inside the bay is getting vibration inputs from the structural mounting uh, that it's coupled to. So then if the space, if the payload itself has resonance frequencies, then its resonance frequencies amplify the vibrations that are applied from the uh, space shuttle uh, payload bay uh, mounting structure. 
So if the uh, payload has dangerous resonance frequencies, particularly frequencies that happen to match the frequencies in the payload bay, then you can have catastrophic failure of the uh, payload, and the payload could even uh, could even rip off of the of its mounting structure and be free to just fly around the inside of the payload bay and cause uh, cause a disaster. So it was very important to uh, to test every payload before it was installed in the space shuttle to validate its integrity for vibration safety. So we always tested the uh, 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 payloads before they went into the uh, shuttle and we found the resonance frequencies and we could analyze, we did mathematical models of the uh, payload and we had a mathematical model of the space shuttle and we could mathematically couple the payload to the space shuttle in our computer models. And then we could simulate the uh, flight of the uh, shuttle going through uh, uh, Mach 1, and we could predict the level of vibrations that you would have on the payload, and we could predict whether those vibrations would be severe enough to cause catastrophic damage. So, um, so every payload had to be uh, certified as safe for uh, vibration. You kind of mentioned to me in the past that uh, you really enjoyed your, your days at NASA. Do you have a favorite story from, from those days? Well, I guess my favorite story is just simply having the experience of uh, an astronaut coming into our uh, building where I was working at NASA, coming in into the office. Uh, one day I'm sitting in the conference room in a meeting. Um, my, my boss called me into the conference room and said, uh, Bob, we, uh, we wanted, to, we had had a meeting couple of days earlier about some project and he said I just wanted to clean up a couple of items on that project we were meeting on and so he he brought me into the uh, conference room and there were several other engineers there and then the top manager of the facility came in the room and then following him was an astronaut Kent Rominger, Kent Rominger, the astronaut, came in the room, and I noticed that all of the other engineers were getting up from the table and moving, standing back against the wall. And I was sitting there at the conference table all by myself, and and the uh, astronauts coming in the room, and all of a sudden the astronaut starts talking, and indicates that he was there to uh, present me with an award. 
and I was just flash, flabbergasted. The uh, astronaut had a uh, had a uh, poster like uh, uh, award with him called uh, on the poster. It was called the Silver Snoopy Award, and the astronauts had what they called the Silver Snoopy Award. They had actually collaborated with the uh, with the cartoonist of Silver Snoop of Snoopy, and they cooperated with uh, with the uh, with the uh, artist and got him to develop a painting of uh, Snoopy wearing an astronaut suit, and they had that character on the uh, on this. On this award, it was a big poster-sized award, and uh, he pulls it out all of a sudden and holds it up and starts talking to me and and reviewing the reason why the astronauts had selected me for uh, for this Silver Snoopy Award. I just didn't know what to do. I was so taken back. It turned out it was they were giving me an award for developing the method of using vibration technology to identify uh, structural defects on the space shuttle that had occurred uh, during uh, ascent and uh, return, the return flight. And um, so he elaborated on how important was it was to them to have comfort knowing that somebody was was uh, analyzing their structure and um, giving them information that could uh, could potentially uh, save a uh, catastrophic uh, uh, flight. And um, so I, I was just overwhelmed. It, so they presented me the Silver Snoopy Award, and I still have it hanging on my wall at uh, home. And uh, yeah, that was, there's no question about it. Uh, there's not any other experience I've had in my career that uh, equaled that experience. So uh, are they still, uh, for the most part, using that same uh, methodology you developed for that? That's really basically uh, what we're trying to do here at Signalysis, uh, applying that same uh, damage detection technology to the uh, assembly line. So we really have literally uh, engaged in NASA technology transfer for assembly line product damage detection. Is there anything that uh, we haven't touched on that you think might be important to mention either with your uh, work or um, the industry in general? Uh, I, I mean, I'm assuming that vibration is vibration, no matter if it's 1960 on a, on a, on a launch pad or if it's a space shuttle or if it's a, a product coming down the assembly line. Um, what, what do you see as a common thread between all these things? Well, the uh, yeah, the common thread, of course, is the underlying technology, 
and the theoretical basis that underlines all of these uh, vibration applications. And uh, so the, uh, the underlying physics, uh, so it, uh, and along another part of that, I guess, still is that unending uh, connection all the way back to a nine or 10 year old boy um, being intrigued by the sounds of the vibration of a piano string. So that, uh, that intrigue uh, is, is still has always been a part of uh, everything I've done in uh, with uh, vibration applications. So you had to do it the hard way back then with uh, math and, and pencils and slide rules. Uh, I mean, today's technology's come quite a way since then. Is it uh, is that re rewarding for you to know that um, you solve problems the good old fashioned way? Uh, yeah, and uh, there's one fundamental differential equation that is at the root of the understanding of. Uh, of the vi of vibrations, really, and uh, if we had a, a whiteboard here, I would go to the board and write that equation out for you. <laughs> but uh, you usually, uh, if I'm with uh, my son Neil, of course, is the uh, president and founder of Signalysis, and. Uh, when I would go with him out to visit a customer and he would have me give a little explanation of, of our uh, technology, as soon as I got too involved and began to make a move toward a blackboard to write an equation, he would, <laughs> he had a way of shutting it down right there. He didn't, he didn't want to go into equations because he realized that really our customers really aren't too interested in uh, in the mathematical details. Well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate you getting out in the, in the rain today. Okay. Well, thank you very much for all your all of your help. <laughs>